As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Megan Summers, current co-founder of Screwtape Studios. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Megan. How are you? Good. How are you going? Going really well at the moment. Um, so this is Dev Diary, a series where we sit down with developers from all around the industry and they share their stories and tell us a little bit about their experiences so far. And as I think, it's just I think this is just a staple question now. Um, so I'll kick things off as I always do. What was your first gaming experience that you recall? I remember sitting in my cousin's house on a farm uh, where they were allowed to pirate games back in the day where everyone had pirated games. Well, the glory days of the PS1, roughly. Oh, no, no, oh, oh, no. we're talking... No, actually, we'd be fl- that, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. We're, we're talking floppy disks here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we sat there playing together and I was so excited because it was the first time I'd been in a room not just with my brother playing games... He always played them and I watched. So actually getting... Because I, I had a female cousin. She's like, no, we get to play as well. And so it was so good. Like, And then we started the cousins all getting together then and playing together. I don't even remember what games they were at the time. Oh, okay. But Just I remember... anything and everything. Yeah, I remember walking away going, I need to find how to get these things in my life. Like, how do we get games? How do I get games? So, okay, you don't remember those ones, and that's that's fine. Um, what were some of those early gaming days? What were the, some of the first ones that you do remember playing in through through those childhood years? So, with our first computer, it was a an Osborne computer, which is an Australian company that doesn't even exist anymore. I don't. No, nope, I remember one of them. My my parents had one of them. And... <sighs> I remember going into the showroom and buying it, and it was all scary and very expensive at the time, but. We had this, uh, it was, came with a set of discs. And so there was a game called Castle Master, which is... I reckon I know the name, but that's about it. It was, it took me about seven years to figure out how to get through two levels. (laughs) Because it was, it was very much a point and click adventure, but there was no text, no anything. It was just, if you pick, if you click the right thing, you'd pick it up. And it was just about adventuring through this castle. And that sort of really moved me on then to when I got my first big disc of games. And it was uh, Jill of the Jungle and uh, Commander Keen 4, which is probably probably still the all-time favourite of mine. Uh, Oh, good to hear. Yeah, it it, it hit so many many things at the time. And I was actually allowed to play it. Well... Or I guess still, what is sti- what is still so good about it? Well, I thought about this a lot because I think it was it was well, I was allowed to shoot things and they didn't die. For my parents, it was that was a big thing. They were always very anti-violence. I wasn't yeah. allowed to play the original Prince of Persia because oh, okay. the spikes went red when you fell on them. Yeah, right. So Commander Keen for them was oh whatever, go for it. They just are stunned, apparently. 
And so... It's like the old Pokemon fainting thing. It, exactly. <laughs> and it actually worked on my parents. So I definitely oh, see okay. why Pokemon did it. Because I, I look at it now and I'm like, it's just as not violent or violent as all the other games that were out there at the time. But they were just really scared. Yeah, okay. But I also but think I... the other thing for me was they were a kid. It was a kid that you were playing. Yeah. Because I, I was probably about eight or nine when I started playing, especially Commander Keen. That was the most exciting thing for me because I played Duke Nukem and Jill of the Jungle. It was always adults, but I got to play as a kid and I love space. makes a big difference. <laughs> I mean, as a kid at the time, you, you want to find someone, to, I mean, doesn't, you know, you want to find someone to identify with and a kid it, playing a kid makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And it was the only one that I could really find for years until we finally got a Sega. And yeah. it was Alex the kid then. <laughs> that works. How yeah. did things? So how did things? Con- how did things continue to develop through those years? So you got your Sega, and well, we got a Sega about four or five years late after they'd been released. I think the PS One yeah. was maybe already out by the time we got yeah, okay. a, a Master System, and so that was playing Lemmings, playing Alex Kid, playing Wonder Boy. They were the big ones. We. We never had a lot of games, but my yep. parents were always big on if we had something, they it was better than just having one game. Like they'd always try to give us those, those few library. games. Yeah, exactly. And then my brother bought a Game Boy, and my parents a couple of years later bought that from him and gave oh. it to me for my birthday. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, that's it, right? Oh, I was so excited to be able to get the Game Boy. So I actually found it the other day as well. I've still oh, got great. the original Game Boy. So what sort of games were on it? I assume probably there's a staple, Tetris, I'm guessing. <laughs> Definitely Tetris. Um, I played a lot of Zelda. Yep. Um, so fa- the fact that there's a remake for that coming must be oh, uh, bring back all sorts of memories. It's kind of mind-blowing, really, thinking about it. Actually looking at not only playing, because it was on the Game Boy as well. Yep. It wasn't just just the graphics it was the size of the screen that you got to experience yeah. and so it's going to be so so nice going back to it but you know on a pc and actually or actually no the switch i'll go on the switch yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that, that that one's gonna be really interesting that's a lot of those we hear a lot of those sort of conversations with remasters and those sort of things like oh this is kind of how i remembered it in you know people how people imagine it looking but I don't think because of the Game Boy and the, the original Game Boy, obviously not the DX version of the <laughs> game, um, I don't think anyone could genuinely sit back and say, this is this is how I remember it. Like you don't, you, you, I don't think neurons will be firing that way. It's just not possible, really. Uh, so it'll be I, kind of interesting to see how the nostalgia affects people differently in this case. I, I definitely agree. It'll be really interesting as well because we've been getting reboots that, and remakes that haven't really been that long since the first one was made and this yeah. is this is a really nice amount of time so that you you aren't remembering the first one as much as you think you are i think as yeah, well exactly. like our memories of things evolve so i think it'd be really nice to see a whole lot of people i think this might might just be one of those ones where we almost get a unanimous this was the best thing you could have done because he's hoping because there's far too many negative comments about that art style and i think it looks beautiful oh it's just I think it's perfect for it. <laughs> yeah, it fits that tone perfectly. Um, so what else did you mess around with after? now that we've gone on that tangent? Uh, <laughs> um, what else did you kind of play and experience and enjoy through those years? How did things kind of begin to develop from there? So I had a friend who had an Atari 
And yep. so that really, it was funny because I played that after I'd already got a Game Boy Color. And it was oh, yeah, weird. It might be going, a bit jarring. It was bizarre. It was really interesting, though, seeing where they, where games had come from. And I was still, there were games on there that I really did enjoy. And it was sort of, they're really similar to just Tetris and things like yeah. that, the small puzzle games. But I think going backwards and then coming forward, a game yeah. really, really triggered my interest of where these things could go and how you could, how much they'd already come. Yes, that's, it, it's an interesting way. And I guess, you know, every parent who's introducing games, their children might have different approaches and those sorts of things or different philosophies on it, I guess. Uh, probably depends on their level of interest in games themselves. But <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very bullish about the idea that my son, he's a, a five months old now, so far too <laughs> early. But um, he'll be getting, oh, assuming games are something that he has even a passing interest in he'll be he'll be experiencing some of those early things and we'll start to build our way up from there i'd i'd love for him just to have that i i don't know there's far too many and as a teacher i i see it from the kids they they play only the most recent games so then when they see something that's older or something that's indie that channels some of those older visual styles they turn their nose up at it i don't think you understand actually how impressive this this thing is or was um, yeah, so I want, I want to get that appreciation of what came before and and understand how it led to what we get to see and enjoy now. I think doing that myself really made the interest video games, not just a game. Yeah, yeah, it's probably got something along the way. Ends up why I ended up where I am. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's, I, I think a similar sort of idea with all those old games that I also experienced through those days and different side of the the business i guess but same sort of idea uh is there a favorite game i, I suppose or is it commander commander king that we we're talking about before my heart goes my heart's favorite is commander king because it's just got so many memories for me so much and it was it was the biggest game that i played at the time the fact that there was different maps and things like that really but then I've uh, I've got a real soft spot for the Civilization series. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's understandable. Yeah, there's a lot of love for that franchise. Yeah, that's one that's taken me through the whole way as well. And so even, a particular Civ that really. I'm gonna have to say Civ Six. Oh yeah, okay. I I was surprised. I Civ Five I liked, but it wasn't a big big deal in the end. Like it was just better graphics, pretty much. But Civ Six has brought in some really interesting things that I was didn't think they could keep evolving it, and they yeah, okay. yeah I, I feel like they they've managed to do it anyway. So before Civ Six rocked up, what was the what was the one within the franchise that was kind of the benchmark to? Probably got to probably four. Four yeah, was okay. yeah. Four was a really. It was the second one. It was the first one I bought when it was released as well. So yeah. that's probably got a part of it for me. Oh, of course. Um, so can you can you identify what some of those things were that 6 did versus 4 that really elevated it even further I guess or is it some of those hard to quantify sort of things I think they've uh, they're playing with for me they're all just big puzzles and so you used to be able to do one thing one thing a step sort of thing there was one puzzle piece at a time but now uh, it feels like there's even more pieces that you can move at a time and there's more elements to the game there's different there's i feel like there's a lot more nuance to my strategies as well now oh yeah, okay 
we're really leaning into one of the conversations we had before recording here about <laughs> uh, review conversations versus reviews. This is, this yeah. Is so was there a game at all along the way, maybe one we've even spoken about so far that was kind of the, the, the trigger that maybe prompted you to want to dive deeper into this industry, whether it's that as a consumer or as a developer or someone involved actually within the industry? It's kind of hard. I well, it's just the culmination of years, sort of thing. Yeah, it's more the culmination of years, and then I actually stopped playing games for a little while just before I got into the industry. I I was studying theatre. Yep. <laughs> uh, I did a, a a year of a full theatre degree, sort of nine to five thirty every day, half an hour break, even though you're at uni. Uh, yeah. movement and voice classes and you know it was very it was what I thought I always wanted to do oh yeah okay and that Good. year made me realise eh, I love acting but I don't want to be an actor yeah and, okay yeah so I took some time off and uh, just tried to see what was out there that I knew I loved as well but that I could actually see myself doing and I found a, a diploma in, in multimedia, majoring in games. It was before any of the degrees were really um, common around Australia. Yes, yep. And so, yeah, spent a year a year doing that, and as soon as I hit animation, I realised this was the industry I wanted to be in. Even if I didn't become an animator, there was just... There was something about the artistic... The artistry and the technicality that really drew me in. And just how those things kind of come together and cross over, I guess. Yeah, like often, often animation for me is where you can can see that convergence the most when you're doing it. Yeah. So a lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of the um, art is 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 art, and you 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 know you're 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 creating the art, but putting it into the game might not be something that the artist does. Yeah, it's understood. You, off, so it was that one spot where there was this technical part of it rigging and and getting the getting the character ready to do the art bit and that yeah, okay. really fascinated me that they could integrate completely like that yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i can appreciate that so how did things begin to develop from there so you, you've done your you've done your year you've done you've done some study uh how what was that first step into the industry look like we're, we're going to talk probably in great length shortly about your QA experience and, and several other, other different aspects. But what was the first step? How did things start to go from there? Well, Or, or was it QA? It actually was. Um, at the time, because the industry in Australia and especially Brisbane actually looked very different, Brisbane and Melbourne were fighting for the, 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 the city, industry yeah. city. Um, so our lecturers at TAFE said, if you're not 100% sure what you want to do, go out, try and get QA work. It's a really good way of, of, of finding your feet in the industry, uh, learning those skills often that you, we definitely, there wasn't enough time in a one-year diploma to learn. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and building up your skills that way. And so I applied for a job at Pandemic Australia yes. when it was, uh, yeah, in the Valley and, um, somehow got the job <laughs> it was it was uh first interview first job uh and i was digging around before that was about 2007 to 2009 is that correct yes Roughly. yes i think uh, i think august 2007 i started 
So uh, what did that time entail? That was fascinating, actually, because the game that I was bought on, so there was two games going on, uh, two teams at Pandemic at the time, yeah. and one of the games, um, it was still just coming out of pre-production. Yep. So it was not much of the game was there. Levels were being built, but direction was still being decided with design. Yeah, okay. So I actually got a chance to work on testing the engine and the oh, tools okay. that the team were using to build the game because that was before we had Unity and Unreal even yes, yeah. being a proprietary at the time. So it was it was actually fascinating getting to watch not only this is a template of a game, but then this is how people were actually making it as well. And I think I was probably it's probably one of the best things that happened to me. Oh, good five, to hear. Yeah, the five months where I got to work between the two things and um, I only had, it was just me and my boss uh, at the time. So we, it wasn't a big team. I sort of got my, to get my fingers into everything and learn everything. And I'm, the team that I got to work with was, was a team full of some of the best AAA people as well. So... Do we know what that game was? I'm trying. I'm trying to get my pandemic timeline in my head. Right? Was that was this that in the window of the saboteur? It was indeed. Uh, it was the. Uh, it was an unannounced comic book title. Oh, okay. uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all you usually need to say for everyone yeah, to know. Yeah. So. Understood. And unfortunately, I am a massive comic book fan as well, and so walking into a room full of concept art for the game and new levels that were being built on my first day kind of kind of Mind blew my brain. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's that's really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so sorry, go on. So, yeah, that team, over the year and a half that I was there, it was, it was actually kind of interesting because it was, it was the team only ever built up to five people and our lead. So it was... It was an open world game. It yeah, okay. was massive. It was there was a there may have been a movie that came out as well that there was there was uh and we were we were <laughs> it, it may have uh, <laughs> my brain's just exploding over here. Yeah. Oh. He, he That's right. I won't, I won't push too much that we It's funny cuz the only reason that it gets. I get my nerve racked is because by the time I left, EA had bought Pandemic. So yeah, okay. We, yeah, yeah. If we, you bring when you bring up EA, just unfortunately that's a touchy subject within this industry at the moment. So which which for I, right rightly or wrongly, I might add. I agree. I I actually have one thing to say about them. Go for they, it. They are. They may be a giant corporation, but at the time of my redundancy. I was a contract worker. Yep. They didn't have to pay me out, and they did. Good on it. So, yeah, like, when I look at business practices and businesses at the moment, there are businesses of all kinds that would never have done that. Yeah, but they did. Uh, they did. And so it's and it, it meant that I got to stick around in this industry because I had a, a little bit of savings then to, to wait time. for the job. Yeah. So no, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that because um, I feel like 
I feel like there's more of those sort of stories out there, not just about EA, other publishers as well, but focusing specifically on EA. Like, they really get piled on by, I guess, mostly fans, I would say, for the most part. But there's certain little pockets within the, the industry as well, whether it's um, games media or whatever, or YouTubers, or whatever the case may happen to be, that it's it's fun to bash EA. And <laughs> yes, they make mistakes. Um, I feel like I'm about to go into the Joseph Farris <laughs> Without the Oscars comment, um, but like they, they, people make mistakes. Yeah, um, I, I've, yeah, we're we're it's an unforgiving industry, um, and I think if there was more of that, we'd be far better off. Yeah, because I don't think it's about letting people off from their mistakes either, but it's about yeah. recognizing that they're also try hard to yeah. do the right thing sometimes as well. Yeah, so no like, one's actively trying to put out a bad game or be horrible to their employees or whatever. Um, I mean, you know, people sit there and critique, oh, why are there microtransactions? They're just trying to rob me blind, blah, 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 blah. And then EA goes and puts out Apex Legends, which I know people have played dozens and dozens and probably well over 100 hours and they've not thought once about giving any money to it, not because they're significantly opposed to that idea, but because this is a full product as is. I don't... I don't feel like I need to do this. It's, it's cosmetics. Like, great, if I do it, I do it. But I've played 100 hours now. Yeah. I feel like I probably owe them something almost. <laughs> like, it's fine. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's, it's, they're it, learning. Exactly. And I think it's, it's, it was interesting having EA moving from... It was almost an indie team, a big indie team at Pandemic before then because yeah. they, they'd built themselves up. It was only the second studio. And it... Definitely, it definitely opened my eyes to the. You need stricter procedures sometimes at a yeah. bigger company because, you know, when they when, when the game that got cancelled, we were working on, when it when it ended, it a lot of it was because there was so much that people wanted to do, and EA was knew that, and they were they were they were sending people over, they were building the team as much as they possibly could to help everyone work together but then i yeah, also okay. realized that the more people you have the more hard it is to to There's have so everyone working parts. exactly exactly and so it was actually for leaving for, for, for going indie eventually in the story it actually i think was really useful seeing both sides of it from a from quite it's... a low down position as well people people are often they they don't hide sometimes what they're going to say to yeah. you <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, good perspective. Yeah. I, I, I definitely wouldn't take that off my career list, having worked for EA. Like, it, 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 no, it's changed. Given everything every... you've told me, nor should you. Yeah. That's so... obviously just my perspective there, but basically <laughs> what you told me, I don't think, nor should you. I think that's, that's a, oh, jeez, I wish I knew about this. I feel like I need to ask you about this off camera. <laughs> but... um. No, I think that's I think that's awesome sort of experiences, and at the end of the day, it's all experience. So I don't think there's ever there's no such thing as bad experience. There might be some ordinary things that might go on along the way, but you're always getting to learn from these different sorts of things. And they gave you an opportunity, and then looked after you when things went pear shaped. And I, you can't ask much more of an employer. Exactly. Yeah, especially in a creative industry like this. Yeah. So how did things develop from there? We've, we've dwelled on <laughs> pandemic and EA for a while. How did, well, how did things progress from there? Well, I actually, I was lucky enough after the first project went under, 
uh, to get moved to the second project that was going on. Um, yeah. uh, the rest of the QA team, except for my lead and I, um, were let go. But I, I was lucky enough to move across. And um, at that point, we were actually... I was looking at going into production. Um, okay. Or at least start my start my career in it. Um, yeah. They'd sort of really changed the way they were doing QA on the second team, which was really interesting. We were... You know, we'd, we'd moved into Scrum development, and so they were sort of putting QA at the end of the pipeline completely before things were locked off. And it was... I was getting a lot of... Uh, a lot of QA plus the production, how it worked experience rather than yep. rather than the sitting at your desk playing for hundreds of hours experience. Which I'd imagine eventually starts to wear on you. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, QA is, is an, um, uh, it's, I, I love it now. It took me years of experience though, to getting through churning through sometimes to um to realize just how much it, it is a giant puzzle and, and you can really uh you can really pull apart a game and, and know specifically game between each game as well there's different things but there's the same thing that goes across all of them as well yeah yeah it's um i i became more fascinated with it as i got better at it as well so I was, that's uh, awesome yeah and then um then after after that project, uh, the studio oh, before that project finished, that sh- uh, pandemic was shut down. Yeah, and so yeah, we we've, we've hit the GFC, which means that uh, yes, yes, that's that window. Yeah, good point. Yeah, which uh, which unfortunately saw out of the eight studios in Brisbane, all but Chrome go down eventually so and you managed to find your way to chrome for at least a period there am i right i did that was my next uh my next stop which was absolutely fascinating it was completely different working um style Uh, it was a much bigger qa team so i'd gone from working with two people to five up to five to uh a, a team of of 30 almost qa that were working on probably five different games at the time as well. Oh, okay. I was about to ask what's the difference when, when you're talking about numbers and what does it do to your work, but okay, I guess when you do the maths on it, it's about the same number of people per game. Pro- yeah. Well, they did also uh, have a, a night shift rule. So oh, okay. at the time, Chrome was actually had a, had a 24-hour QA cycle. So, wow. Uh, yeah, it was... It was uh, it was interesting it, to 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 start at the company. You had to do some time at in night shift first. So earn your stripes. Yeah, yeah almost. <laughs> yeah, okay. But on the flip side, again, it was an it was another fascinating experience. Um, getting to work on a lot more. From that point, there were a lot um, of of uh, purchased IPs as well. I got to work on a. A Transformers, Transformers Two, but the Wii title. Yep. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was it was fascinating seeing how, at that time especially, they would uh, new games would get made for each of the other consoles rather than the same game just being made to work on all of the consoles. Yes, yeah. So that was that was again really really interesting from a QA point of view as well, like. Where were these assets coming from? Whether the assets that were being created here, or was it something that was uh, sent over from the other team? 
It was, yeah. You're trying to pull all these pieces together and make a coherent thing out of it. Yeah. And then uh, another engine testing job came up at Chrome. And so to get out of the six months of night shift that you normally had to do, I took the job because no one else wanted to jump onto the engine testing. Because you're so much further away from the games. In some ways, anyway. So I got to experience a lot more of the technical side of, of not only the games and how they were being put together in an engine, the actual engine itself then. So it was, it was like most software testing, really. You're working, yeah. you're working in a piece of software, but because it was, uh, it was Merc tools uh, for the engine Mercury that um, Chrome had created themselves as well. It was a bespoke engine. But it worked with, I think at the time, there was a 2D platform, uh, there, was, there, was, there was Game Room, which was a more of an emulator on the Xbox. Yep. Um, that was being made in it, but so was Blade Kitten, which was uh, 2D in a 3D world. Then there was a game, uh, Guardians of Gahul, which was a, a movie tie-in game. It was... The movie didn't do oh, very it's, well. It's like it, stretching you, me, that one. Oh, I think I think it. I wouldn't be surprised if the game got better reviews than the movie. Okay. <laughs> but so, and this was a, a that game was a full three D world, and they were all being made in the same tool in the same way, and it was that was really interesting from just just seeing that you can you can use one set of tools and all these different styles of games and wa- and ways you can use that system to build new things and it was, that was that was really interesting although it got a little bit tedious i'm definitely i don't think i'm built for software testing and so i'm yeah. curious what was the and i think i already know the answer to this just based <laughs> on some of the conversations we've already had so far but what was the rationale in terms of that jump so obviously you'd spend a lot of time far more intimately with the game and then this to kind of step away in in some ways. Um, what was the thought process behind all that? Was it to, and my guess is, just to experience multiple dis- different aspects and see how all the cogs are moving in the background and that sort of thing? Would that be it, closest it to the mark? It definitely intrigued me. I, I was really interested by learning as much about the industry as I could. Yeah. Getting off night shift was definitely a major part of it. I don't blame you there. Yeah, working, I think we did six till two or six till three. I was, yeah, I was sick, of All getting, right. yeah, sick of getting pulled over three times a night, coming out of the valley in Brisbane, going on my way home because they think that I'm out partying oh, on a weekday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think I've always had a, a, a want to keep moving as well and because it was such a big QA team because I'd come from quite a small team you, uh, we did everything you know we're testing environments but we're also testing the gameplay itself you're also you know you find a crash somewhere where you jumped and then you you, you attacked someone and then you landed a particular way and you've got to try and figure out how to make that happen again yep. every time you try to make it happen and so I I did get a little bit border on a bigger team. I, I must admit on on games because you were sort of segmented a little bit more in what you were looking for constantly. Oh, yeah, okay. People kind of specialised in different aspects. Yeah, and and being the new person on the team, you know, you picked up the spot that was needed rather than the most interesting one, maybe. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So not, not, not an unusual concept from in a, in a whole bunch of different industries, of course. The newbie tends to get thrown the the less desirable. Yeah. Um, I, I watch it all the time with uh, in the teaching profession. Newbies <laughs> tend to find themselves with year sevens a lot. <laughs> or Or the dreaded year nine or ten window. So. Oh, yo. I, I feel like not If night any shift- of my students are listening right now, you're all great. Don't worry. I, it's, it's what other people are saying about you. <laughs> and also you will get through this <laughs> yeah, it's all good it's all good so all that ended up happening in about 10 months uh at chrome i was only there for 10 months before they there i think i was the second round of redundancies when they started closing down the studio um at that time um but luckily uh at that point uh thq was looking for a qa as well yep and so I, I went back to smaller teams again. I actually went, my boss at THQ was my, my boss at Pandemic. So it, it did make moving into a small team with him again really easy because we'd, we'd gotten to know each other so well over the... Know how each other works oh, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. He Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it, it helped. Even just there's a, a lot of QA's work is, is, is communication. Yeah. You, you've got to be able to... Every person in the industry, every every part of the industry feels very different. You, speaking to a programmer and speaking to an artist, there, there are different ways to not only tell them they've got a bug that they've got to fix. Like, your whole job is essentially telling people what they've either broken or done wrong. Like, it, it, it's a very... Which is hard to... Yeah, hard to it, do. It really is. And it's, and it's also hard to take sometimes, especially in such a creative industry. And so... Finding that rapport with people, I found, was really important first up. Like, you know, it's... it's Relationships are key it, in any profession. Exactly. Because I, I'm also very hands-on QA. I will... If there's something new and I need to ask something, I'm not a, I'm not a DM. I'm not a messenger. Often I find it's easier and quicker to just... If I know that that person's okay with being interrupted occasionally during the day, I'll just get up and go over and chat with them at their desk. Yeah. I can explain exactly what's happening easier, especially if it's a, a bug that, you know, we haven't quite figured out what it what's happening. And you can you can get that little bit of uh, having that chat with, a, with either a programmer or whoever it was that put it in the game. You know exactly what they were trying to do if you just have that little one-on-one chat rather than often often documentation or often all the parts of don't really communicate as well as just being able to sit down and go hey this thing happened i've tried this this and this what do you think and they might go oh it could be this and have nothing else or they could know exactly what it is and my time's been not been wasted and neither is theirs yeah. then yeah i mean yeah you can you can lose a lot of things in paperwork oh. um and again regardless of the profession um a lot of paperwork and a lot of admin can just muddle messages up and it, I don't think there'll ever be a substitute, even in this incredibly connected world that we are, like you and I are talking right now and we've got video on. I think that makes a big difference to the flow of even the conversation versus we're obviously, obviously this is an audio show, but we could easily just have the video off. But I think it actually makes a big difference to the way you and I, like we kind of bounce off what each other's saying. You can kind of pick up on cues and those sort of things just don't happen if it's, if it's text form or you don't get that that actual interaction you can't see the person yeah i i i i think or be there in the be in their presence anyway yeah exactly and, and i think those little nuances as well and because it's a creative field like 
even though a programmer is is fully ingrained in the technical aspect of the game what is trying to come out at the end is still a creative endeavor and yes. so those those little nuances of how and why and decisions that you might not ever put in a design document but but knowing it for me in a QA position makes going and finding a creative way to try and break something easier because you've got you just got those little bit more knowledge of what and why. Yes. The understanding the goings on makes a big difference. Yeah. Um so I worked on only worked on two games at uh THQ. Uh they were um once again uh, a movie tie-in the the last airbender oh, okay. Yeah, M- okay yeah yeah i didn't get to work on any of the good air- uh good last airbender games that uh that thq got yeah. to make Our you game, got the dodgy one uh, it was so hard because it was once again movie tie-in it rushed was on, probably it, in some ways well i was actually really surprised and impressed with what they were doing with the game when they so it was on the Wii only. Yep. And it was when the Wii was new. And they, Yeah, I think I vaguely recall this game. Yeah, and it was... They'd come up with these amazing ideas for how to use the movement and everything, but then somewhere in the back and forth between production companies for the movie and the game, it sort of got blanded down a bit. Yeah, okay. So the, the gameplay itself, it was there. It was fine. It was well done. But I really enjoyed the way the environments were used and, and how the design team and the environment team worked together because they try they tried to bring out the life of the game through that when they were sort of had been maybe pressured down on some of the elements of design that they were wanted to use. Yeah, and I mean that franchise, uh, like the you know everything it's based on, like there's there's a lot of color and there's a lot of there's a lot to the environment and how you know how the characters and everything in, interact in that space. So. I, I can see how, like, if, if that side of things is functioning really well, that makes a big difference to a project such as that. Yeah, and, and it must have been... I can't, I can't even imagine how it must feel from designers to go... For designers who go through pre-production, come up with all these, you know, really great ideas and, and there was a lot of movement because it was the Wii and, and like, the last... The, the, the airbenders and all the other characters, they, they, move, they use their arms for their powers. Yes. But then to have sort of those things push down and and you sort of have to not fall in line but but it's still a job does it become that sort of uh design by committee sort of idea rather than necessarily the most creative endeavor is that is that kind of where what you're getting at there or almost almost yeah and i think that comes from a lot of those i mean that's also a very broad brush that i'm painting (laughs) i don't quite yeah i think i think you know what i mean yeah (laughs) It's almost like that committee above everyone went, it can't be this, it should be something like this, now go. And so yeah, okay. they, and man, the Metacritic score for the game is higher than the movie, so they definitely did something it's a good start. Pretty, pretty damn well. So, and, and the team was really good to work with as well. It was a, a smaller team again, so I got to know all the devs really well um, throughout the yeah, just just working with them the same way in QA, and it was it was actually interesting because it was uh, the second Wii game that I'd worked on, but it was the first time I'd uh, 
gone through any of the certification requirements or so each each console's got their own set of requirements how yep. everyone wants it to be used and so that was actually a really good experience getting to go through all those kind of uh, that side of things as well i find the the compliance quite interesting that what you what you have to comply to when it comes to you know xbox switching users sort of thing there's a whole lot of different ways that you've got to switch users and make sure nothing goes wrong (laughs) and things the uh the consumer don't necessarily think of exactly but that would completely destroy their gameplay experience sometimes even if even though it's not to do with the game and so that that's sort of the console wrapping has, has always felt really interesting to me of how you get a game finished and when is a game ever actually finished? That's all. Well, yeah, that's a that's a very big conversation. That one, I suspect. Oh, <laughs> it's it's fascinating. The amount of times at the end of a, a project, I've seen the producer go, "Okay, how many bugs do we have? Okay, there's fifty left. How many of those are below below high uh, priority? Okay, we have twelve bugs left. Everything else just yeah, sort of yeah. gets because kick down the down the pipeline. Because uh, in the end, you you every bug that's fixed every new feature that goes in could potentially bring more bugs to the table that will be worse and so it's a nice it's been it was good seeing the balance of okay where does uh where do the heads of this game where do the producer and the creative director where do they see the line of this is not only playable but we've hit all our marks we know it's fun we know we know that it's going to be a good game even though there are always going to be some small bugs in there. Yeah, of course. And it's actually interesting now as well because back then there wasn't a, a, a day zero patch. Well, yeah, that's a that's a get out of jail card in some ways these days. And I I know, I don't, and I don't mean that in some disrespectful no, sense either. No, it's, but it's, it, it's nice. It creates you've got time up your sleeve. You do because it, it it gets quite controversial. I think for some players, like people. Yeah. And I, and I get it, especially being in Australia. Our download speeds are just amazing, aren't they? So I love it. <laughs> so no, it's... Nothing better than trying to download, uh, you know, Anthem updates that take almost as you know many hours as it is gigabytes that you're looking to download. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in the end, to get the game out ready for marketing, there is a big chunk of time before release that you just don't get to work on the game anymore. Yeah, and and the fact that a day one patch or a day zero patch comes out to me says the team didn't see the game as done without these things fixed, and yeah. at least they are like that. That's the other, yeah. It's 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 an interesting time at the moment, seeing the switch from those big games having to go you know be ready two months early because they have to be printed on disc. Yeah to yeah a week out you're uh you're hastily finishing things up and get that patch out on day one it's, it's a it's a very different environment we're now in yeah i'm i'm kind of glad i caught the end of it of the of the of the, the last way it was done but that much perspective more, thing again yeah but it's oh it's so much more exciting being on this end of it <laughs> yeah and in some ways i guess i could see maybe the, the counter argument where it's almost like it never ends yeah yeah um 
And I, I mean, I don't know about you personally. Do you, do you come across many people that like, they kind of get maybe a bit overwhelmed by that side of things where it, it just it doesn't end? I maybe burnout starts to kick in. Is that is that a thing that you've seen at all? Without yeah. necessarily having to name locations or names or any of those sorts of things, is that is that sort of a thing you've seen occur around you? Um, yeah, a little bit in everything. I think coming from theatre, I sort of saw this. In theatre, it's always very much well. You're here. You want to be here. This is the amazing world of acting. It's going to be hard. It's going to be punishment. But at least you get to do the creative thing that you want to do. Yeah. And so coming to games, it was actually a lot more free. There's a lot more freeing space. There's still there's still that chance that things won't work the way you want them to. It won't be that 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 crazy time of trying to go. Okay it's fun but how did we get there or it's not fun and how do we get there what is fun what does that even mean how do you know that kind of those kind of creative aspects so the hard work that that went that goes into it i i didn't necessarily and i guess there was a lot of youth in it as well and a bit of hubris but i didn't see that doing 16 hour days for a month was necessarily a bad thing (laughs) I de- yeah. I definitely I do now, especially when there wasn't a game that came out of it. But I also cherish the fact that I got to sit in a room with some of the most amazingly creative people that I've ever met in my life. All of the leads on a project and we were all waiting for that last build at twelve o'clock at night and you know, it was we all sat there and waited for it to get sent over to the States. It was those those moments there, there are upsides as well you you still time well spent yeah exactly and that's not to say that that kind of crunch is good everywhere or right everywhere but i think there's I, a time and place yeah and i got it and I was with careful management <laughs> what was that sorry i was a lot younger at the time i don't know if i could do it now well i mean yeah maybe maybe uh our bodies aren't necessarily uh it's quite ready yeah bodies aren't ready but um at the same time, yeah, that I mean, with with inexperience comes a bit more enthusiasm, and you know, that just I'll just push myself, and I'll push myself, and I'll push myself, and eventually you, you're just not necessarily wired to be able to do that anymore. Other life priorities come into play, and those sorts of things. Yeah, it's been incredible just to me in my own life seeing what difference having a new child, like having our first child's done to things there in terms of my priorities and those sort of things. It was probably exactly what I needed because my wife was probably getting a little fed up with my full teaching hours and then coming home and sticking (laughs) hours into um, games writing or media related bits and pieces. But it certainly, it changes your perspective and um, I think it's a good thing still. Yeah. And there's for every person who's kind of in that sort of sphere, there's there's that new up and comer who's ready to bend over backwards and learn as much as they can and just smash themselves in a way that you potentially can't anymore. And it all balances out, I think. Yeah, I hope so. Anyway, fingers crossed. I... Well, let's let's be optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> um. So THQ, you've moved on to Defined after that. Would that be right in terms of QA? Well, technically... There's some other stuff going on in the background at this point, though. Yeah, so at that point, we... um, At, at the end of my contract at, Q, at, at THQ, I made the decision not to go for... To renew my contract. Yep. Um, which ended up being probably the better decision. And the studio ended up going down a couple of months later, yep. unfortunately. So... 
Yeah, it, she now I've just yeah I've just put done the maths in my head. Yeah, okay, I know exactly. What, yeah, when we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So I think that was Avengers that that had just been it was announced and things there, but it was starting when I when I left, and so um, my business partner now, Anthony, uh, we've been best friends uh, for years. We met actually in theatre, um, so. And you and both he, transitioned across. That's interesting. We did. We actually ended up doing the same course together as well, which was kind of nuts. It was, but he's, did you both come to that conclusion separately, and then just happened to oh, it's you or <laughs> we 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 we'd known each other the whole time. We we're always in contact, and we actually found the ad for the TAFE course on the same day and told each other that's <laughs> what we wanted to do. So I think it it only it's only right that when I finished at THQ, he he actually went and did programming at QUT he always knew he wanted to be a programmer um going into the course and our course uh, the course we did at TAFE was really good it sort of gave us a little introductory to all of the disciplines and then it was like look if you're if you're a talented artist here's some of the things you need to know but you also need to be talented at, at art but if you want to be a programmer this isn't going to be enough you're going to need to go to uni so yeah, it, okay. it was a little primer for, for him especially. Um, so he was actually about to finish his degree just as THQ and uh, Sega had already gone down as well at that point. Yep. Uh, I think Chrome was at a very small workforce. Oren was gone. Uh, um, I can't even remember the other ones that were there at the time, but they'd They'd all dried up and gone at that. And so he and I sort of looked at each other and went, well, I guess if we want to stay in this industry, we might have to build our own jobs. Yes. So we, we decided to go indie at that point ourselves. Um, worked on mobile games. We've worked on, over the next sort of three years, three to four years, we worked on a few mobile games. Um, so that I'll double check the names. Conduction, Bank Job, Time Dash... Um, Zen Snake, several others, they all fit that bill. Yeah, yeah. It was it was hilarious. Conduction I still love, but it it was such a simple puzzle game and it made us realise just how long games take to make. How it long was, did that one take? It took about eight months. Yeah, okay. And it's a very simple match colour game. <laughs> so it but but going into mobile was really interesting as well. So coming from console and PC games to, to mobile games. Fruit Ninja had just been uh, released probably about three or four months before we'd... It was taking the world by storm. Exactly. The iPhone games were... They were going to make you millions. And and just as we hit um, our first game that was actually really quite popular, Bank Job, was we were... We found it very hard to monetize. It was in that first period of time where everything stopped being a dollar or two dollars and went to freemium. Oh, yeah, okay. So we made the game based on it. It'll sell for $2 or a dollar. And then very quickly during production, it went to, oh, God, we're going to have to make this free and figure out how to do the in-app purchases. And it's a whole economy. It is It is learning how to create an economy that actually then feedback, feeds back to you at some point. And we definitely missed the mark on 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 the actual how yep. to monetize that game which is sad because we ended up having um yeah uh, we still have a lot of people playing it which is crazy 
It was. <laughs> it's, I mean, regardless of I guess the the things that went wrong, then that's still great to see, though. Exactly, and it was the first time we got to work with an artist. Yeah. Um, which is definitely for Anthony and I. That was you, you know I uh, coming from this QA background. I kept doing the QA of our games. I got to learn, you know, emulation for different different Android devices and what kind of issues happen when you're on when you're on phones. And I I then uh, slid into the the production of the game and then our marketing as well. Anthony was the one programming everything, plus designing everything, and so it was really great to have this new creative force with us as well yep. and i think a lot of the game's success came from its art style so, so yeah, getting, okay. getting to work with new people over the next those next few years and you know we we did a demo for we, we applied for some funding from screen australia back when they had um funding and you know that was great getting to we put together a, a little demo that we thought was uh you know, not going to take that long. It was just a full 3D game in a ship and it was, just, you know, all story driven. And we finished the demo and I, I'd learnt enough and I budgeted it out, what it would take to finish it. And we were like, it's probably a $3 million project with a team of 50. Like, to get what you actually want out of this game. So it, it helped us decide to take that step back again and go, we're not okay. ready to make those big games yet. So we, we stuck Helped you around. pivot and go in a different direction. Yeah. And, and then uh, actually uh, a, a games accelerator, Right Pedal Studios, had just started in, in Brisbane as well. So that was actually how uh, Verbi, our, our, our multiplayer word game, came about. So that was, yep. once again, another really interesting space. I got to, I got to work with sort of, they, they'd bring in mentors for the different parts of the game. I got a chance to talk to one of the uh, uh, head monetization people at Rovio at the time. He, they just happened to be able to bring them in. So I actually got to learn about all that monetization stuff that I we had never yeah. figured out the first time. And Rovio had a bit of success when it came to just, just a little bit just monetization on on mobile platforms. Just this little little thing called Angry Birds. And... Oh, you know, there's not seventeen games of it now. Yeah. Arguably too many, but <laughs> like whatever works, I guess. I still think that the uh, should have stopped at the Star Wars ones. <laughs> yes, but but getting those chances was amazing, and and getting to work with uh, John Passfield as well. He was uh, the main mentor, so John had been someone that uh, we'd heard talk at TAFE. Uh, we'd yep. gone and seen one of his talks, and so he was one of the first uh, first shareware game developers at the time he's uh, uh halloween harry which was a a big uh platformer back in the day was his and um he'd worked on the amazon queen adventure games and it was really nice getting that chance to work with someone who had a legacy you, yes you, you knew that when you were sitting down with him and he was critiquing the game there, there was more there and we got to sit with him a lot which was really nice to be able and to like work out how to extract that stuff is it? yeah and even on such a simple game that we were working on like a word game sort of uh kept bringing us back to 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 really he 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 was able to focus us really easily yeah um which was really nice he had a we had a good rapport with john and he's always sort of someone now that i i, I still he was also one of the uh three create uh star uh guys who started chrome 
and sort of now he's gone back to doing his own thing. So, yeah, it was everywhere I've gone, I've tried to take as much as I can in, in, in what I get to learn, who I get to meet. Um, and I, I genuinely enjoy the people that I get to meet as well. It's, it's nice. The, it's a big part of why I found games and wouldn't ever leave. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that quality in you doesn't surprise me in the least. Having, <laughs> having come across you a few times at PAX over the journey and even talking today, there's just this energy and just willingness to chat and whatever that I think um, even in a professional setting just, just works. Yeah, I, I thank you. It's it's good so- culture and all those sort. Of, it helps foster those sorts of things and makes for a good positive working environment. And that that helps a lot of people, it, not just yourself. And I, I think a lot of it comes from being in QA to begin with. I, yeah. I, I learned that you know I was almost like the smiling assassin in most of my QA career. I people because I do walk up to people's desks. You'll walk along a line of cubicles and people will be sort of is it me? Is it me? And it's like no 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 don't worry. And then you sort of walking up to someone's face they're sort of like oh what have I broken it's like no 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 it's okay it's not a crash and just trying to let people ease into what it is that you're coming to tell them so I I think I a lot of my personality now developed in in those years of getting to meet so many people but then how I had to interact with them as well yes yeah it's it's I I didn't I probably didn't realize how much uh, QA has shaped a lot of myself in the last uh, the last decade. I mean, any job that uh, maybe by necessity forces you to have to interact with lots of different people, I think, can only be a good thing at the end of the day because everyone's different, and you learn different things about people, and you start to learn to approach different people and different types of people in different ways, and play in a space that they're comfortable with. And I think it can only be a good thing. Yeah, it's it's I I, I like I like keeping people. Uh, I, I think I'm also a people pleaser. So when you have to bring them hard news, always try to break it in the easiest way. Yeah. Let's go for lunch. Yeah. But (laughs) before that, this, 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 this need fixing. Yeah, exactly. Um, So how do things begin to transition from there? So, you know, we've been talking about obviously, so screw tapes kind of up and running at this point and you're working on these, uh, these mobile games and, uh, in some respects, the QA days are behind you. In other ways, they're not. Um, how do things kind of begin to transition from there? Because obviously, we're we're gradually inching our way towards damsel here. Yeah. Um, not too far off now. <laughs> I so actually, um, I, I I honestly never thought I'd come back to QA, um, other than being the tester at the company, and you know, as you build up, getting to to, to teach other people, but. It was so lucky that I had that in my background. I, you know, um, so Screwtape went on hold for about six months. Um, yep. We had some, I had some family things happen. Um, and while I was away, um, Defiant contacted us um, uh, and contacted Anthony saying, you know, look, we know you're a part of this team, but we also know you're on hold and we have some work if, at the moment um, if you wanted to come along. Um, and we thought that was a great idea. It was sort of, I felt bad having to, to go up to Townsville and be with family. And Anthony was sort of down here treading water. And, and it was actually a great experience for him because it was the first company he got the chance to actually, to actually go to and work with other, with other um, talent and, and other creative people. And 
And then they said, look, um, Hand of Fate 1 will be wrapping up soon. And... Um, we could do with your help. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was very much. Uh, if you if you need some time to yourself and, and not go back to the company uh, when you get back, it's there. And I would never have said no. Um, the the team at Defiant and and Morgan and Dan and Kim especially have been uh, have been very very strong mentors to to me and to Anthony and then to the studio itself. Um, yeah. And so that was one of the biggest things I'd ever said yes to in my life, because Hand of Fate Two, uh, Hand of Fate One, it was approximately a twenty-hour game, yeah. And um, I did uh, all of the testing on it from from the end, uh, pretty much for the last uh, nine, ten months. So all of the gameplay, all of the game, but then but then getting that chance to go through certification as well for um, Xbox and PlayStation, which was really, really good. Getting that release, learning that release cycle because I'd really only ever, you know, the first two games never got released at Pandemic. Yeah. And then being um, in bigger studios then with more people at Chrome and THQ, you only got to see sort of to the end of where your job stopped. Yeah, rather, and then you move on to the next thing rather than see something out. Yeah, exactly. And it was fascinating um, watching them go through a Kickstarter and then going into development. And um, yeah, it was it was probably one of the the best experiences and and made me realize that I that the QA skills that I have are essential. Um, it's sort of a skill that that is a learn by doing skill very much. Uh, you only need to assure the quality of something that's being built once it's built. So there's yeah. not really any jobs there. You know, it's it's like a, a, peel or a, a quality assurance on a production line. If the production line isn't building something, your job isn't necessarily needed. It's as you kind of described to me before we started recording, it's it's seasonal. It Yeah, it really is. and it, And that's a really good thing that it's those skills are built up but unfortunately when the industry collapsed and we lost probably 40 skilled QA people um, all at once I, um, at the time a lot of people went to software testing or got out of the industry completely because at the time software testing didn't see games testing as um, the same even though yeah, game okay. Games testing is technically more complex. Yeah, but there was this status thing. Definitely, and, and which which was interesting because I know some friends who definitely got paid a lot better when they went to software testing because I think the software people think that uh, yeah, all the layers down got got paid much higher, and it was very very interesting seeing the transition over to, to software testing. But I also knew that it was something I didn't I didn't want to do. <laughs> I didn't yeah, okay. I didn't want to go there. And it's I love testing games, and so realizing that I was like, Defiant wouldn't have asked me to do it if I didn't have the skills. But if yeah. that but they they have not only are they great mentors and you know will bring people on to teach them, they also will always hire the best person for the job. And so and that's always a nice pat on the back when you're in that conversation. Exactly. And then I realized, oh crap, there's only one of us. Like in the whole of Brisbane. 
there was oh, well no that's not true I did have a uh, there is another person but he went straight to Kixai as their senior tester so it made me realize that there's right now if the industry was ever to build back up this side of it there's a, there's a skill set that wasn't needed for so long so now doesn't really exist yes yeah, so, yeah, there's this big gulf that's kind of been created yeah that might need to potentially be uh, kickstarted again which is hopefully what i keep talking recently about qa on twitter and things like that because i i, I just want people i like production and audio a lot of the time when people are starting their first indie studios they look at what can i do myself it's because i have no money and i couldn't pay someone even if i wanted to yeah and so going online and being able to download sounds. Oh, no, we'll just produce our own. We'll figure out how to make it ourselves. Um, no, we'll test it ourselves. It meant that for the first maybe three years that the industry was rebuilding, no one was hiring QA. Then audio and production became a more important thing and people would start spending their money there. And it's only really recently that I've, I've noticed that a lot more smaller studios that have that have grown in the last three years are actually are actually have the money, a, to to yep. hire someone full time. So it's been really nice seeing QA coming back into the industry. Good, to, uh, yeah, good to hear. Yeah, I, 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 it, it's 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 an important part of the 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 grander machine that is the games business and. It's, I'm glad to see it's kind of coming back in vogue. It's ne- uh, necessary again, or being perceived to be necessary again. Yeah. Um, no, it's awesome to hear. And it worried me. I, I didn't realize that even the courses at uni, like not many courses are even bringing it up. So there's a there's a gulf of even knowing what it is now for people who sort of never knew about the old the old system. Have come in in the last three years, come out of uni, and then. So a lot of people just didn't even know it was a job in the industry. Yeah. So that's been it's been really interesting seeing just that transition. And uh, yeah, it's 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 nice seeing it come back though. And obviously, obviously, we spoke about some of the reasons, and obviously, the you know some of the troubles that the the industry went through for a while there. But do you think also with some of those that are coming through, is they kind of see some of the shining stars of the the industry across the board and these these big names that are doing incredible things and they go I'm aiming for that and they kind of become a little bit oblivious to mm-hmm. the 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 grassroots level there that actually makes the other stuff possible. Oh yeah, everyone, everyone when they're coming out of uni is bright eyed and bushy tailed and yeah, and then they get stomped into their place. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Once again, if they come to me, I try to do it nicely. <laughs> But, but it, you broke this and this yeah. and this and get out of this business. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> but yeah, it's it it's it's it been it's been interesting watching that that ride. And then um, once I guess for me, after Hand of Fate one, um, being a seasonal job, but you know it's yep. especially especially QA because the. The time that you need QA the least often is pre-production, and so you yes. so if you're only working on one game at a time, it do, it doesn't make financial sense to keep somebody on. And at that time, I really wanted to to, to go back out and and jump back in with Screw Tape, and so that was actually 
um, at that point, at the end of the next that year was when we we were at GCAP and I did my first Women in Games talk. Yep. And at the end of it, uh, we were sitting in the hotel room and um, and Anthony pitched me Damsel. <clears throat> and it was at that moment that we made that decision to go into a bigger style of game, get out of mobile and go into PC. I think part of why we'd never found maybe some of the some some sort of semblance of success in mobile was because our, our hearts weren't necessarily in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was new. It wasn't games we'd grown up playing. There are kids now who've grown up playing mobile games, and I can see them being able to make amazing Cycling mobile games. Cycling back to games. Angry Birds again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we decided, why not create a game that, if this was going to be it, you know, if we if we couldn't keep the company going, cool, but let's do, go out on a game that we wanted to make rather than something that we were trying to make things other people would make. Yeah. And, so, and that, that game became? And that game became Damsel. Good to hear. And it's actually funny. Damsel has a crazy life cycle. Um, the first nine months of the game, we were creating a very different game. Might I ask what that was? Or is, and feel free not to. If it's <laughs> something that might still be uh, gestating in some way, shape, or form. No, no, it was it was a uh, it was just a much more Metroidvania, uh, okay, linear, story driven, in, in a lot more of the the classic sense. Um, and we made a great demo. It looked beautiful. Uh, we were able to be put in touch by by Morgan actually from Defiant uh, put us in touch with a, a publisher broker so somebody who goes out and tries to sell your game to to publishers and he, yeah okay he played it he loved it um, but he said look I just don't think I can sell it it there are too many games out there like oh, in that this mold. in that yeah, okay. yeah. so we freaked out <laughs> I have to say I actually remember like the first time I wandered past um, Damsel at PAX, however many years ago that was now. Um, at first blush, and I'm you, you just seeing the promotional stuff around the side and all those sorts of things. And at first blush, I'm thinking Metroidvania. That was that was my first, just judging a book by its cover, and then wandering over and having a bit of a look and getting my hands on it and realizing, oh, hang on, this is a very different game. I like this. Uh, it's not to say obviously I you know could very well have enjoyed your Metroidvania take as well, but playing damsel in the state that then was I'm like oh no this works it's not what i imagined it was going to be but this works i like this i think because and, and obviously it, it's led to where it is now <laughs> which is uh almost almost ready for some uh, be out on consoles <laughs> oh okay which is kind of nice no no no, no definitive yet but or dates but it'll be no, very no, I'm soon not gonna we'll flush anything out of <laughs> So we, we went back to the drawing, but we, we, we had a meeting with Morgan and Dan and said, look, if this was, if this was you, what would you do? We could, we could shut this down now, say thank you to the staff that we'd hired, put it away and go get other jobs, or we could spend three weeks, and, uh, which was about all the time we had, to, to redesign. And, and that was how it got turned into the, the arcade platformer that it is, the mission-based, quick in, quick out. And uh, within four weeks, we were up on green light. We got green lit in a week and a half. Um, got asked to go to PAX East off that. Um, 
somehow managed to get over there with the bills that yeah, I was going to say, how, how was that? That's, you know, when you're that early in the project, I'd imagine scraping together the, the funds to do something like that would be would be tough it it was crazy it was it was i don't even know how we actually managed to get over there but we thought this this might never happen again if we don't just collecting every 50 cent coin you saw on the road and making ends meet and yeah so really we've never looked back with damsel it's it's taken longer than we want we're still it's it sucks because both Anthony and I are perfectionists at heart, and we know that a game can never be perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you're not the only ones in this industry that think like that either. So, it's it's. Terrible. I wouldn't get too critical of yourself. I think you're <laughs> far from alone there. Oh, it, it's, it feels kind of good actually, because you often do feel like you're on your own, especially you know more than oh, more than three and a half years into development. Yeah, you sort of think no one has ever made a game that took this long before and you feel it, it and then you go and look at the final fantasy 7 remake and you feel infinitely better about <laughs> yeah you said that one not me <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's you it does make you realize that a games team of any size may not just may just not hit it sometimes and that yeah. that's also okay and that what is made is still good it yeah. may not be great, and so we've we've had to had to go through a lot of perspective, um, and in fact, I the game's taken long enough now that I ended up um, actually going back to Defiant for Hand of Fate too. Yes, <laughs> and so that was again built up my my skills more than ever. They the amount of um, the amount of respect and trust they had in me as QA was uh, terrifying at first, <laughs> but I think I actually... In terms of, like, that's an intimidating amount of pressure that comes with it, or...? A little bit, yeah, and just... Maybe more... self-imposed, but Yeah, pressure. the internal, oh, God, what have they done putting me in charge of these things? <laughs> I'm going to destroy their game. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got to I got to actually hire QA for the first time as well, which is something that I hadn't done before. I got to learn what who's out there at the moment, how QA is working at the moment. It's it's changed a fair bit. Um, QAing a game like Hand of Fate Two and QAing um, like a game as service is very yes. different. You know, you, you what you get given from the team is much different when it's when you know it's a monthly update. It's been decided on a week before you even touch it. Whereas, you know, when a game's in development, you might be testing something that might change at the next design meeting. And then it'll be another design meeting before you've got something else that was going to fit in that place in the game yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, I understand. So it, it became a lot about learning, learning for me how, how, to, how to test what and when. And so that's been really good sort of bringing that back now into damsel as well um especially in the more production-y side of that last 90 (laughs) percent yeah i understood it has its own challenges but you yeah you would learn a lot from what you've done over the journey yeah it's uh getting getting to getting to work with a team as opposed is much different to getting to work you know as an indie duo slash trio but we're we're never in the same room our our team other than anthony and i so it's yeah, it it was really nice to see to see what they're doing as well and seeing where they're going. It's um 
You're always learning in this business. Oh, I think I found the right one because I think I enjoy always learning. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, so obviously you were talking before about how the, the game's coming soon to consoles, but it is available on PC already. Um, what have you kind of learned from some of the player feedback that you would have received? And obviously you'd be getting some th- at events like PAX and those sorts of things along the way. But what, what have you kind of learned from the, the, the state that it was in when it first released to where it is now, the feedback that you received along the way? What, how does all that feedback kind of come in and feed into your development process? We've actually, we've taken on board a lot, a, a lot of our user feedback. We've got some really great um, streamers and, and even a few speedrunners actually who've been, who've been speedrunning the game and we've got a community uh, board was it, with them. Was it Wilco that was doing a lot of it at yeah, one point? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Wilco. Um, but we, we make sure we chat with them, but we also watch them play. Yeah. So when they are streaming, we make sure we're watching a lot of the time. We've actually made pretty massive changes um, from our point of view anyway. Yeah. Um, the the, the mini-games that were in the game. So when we took it to PAX, uh, not last year, the, oh, no, last year, before we were about to release, we still didn't have... Oh, no, it was the first time that we'd actually had all of our mini-games in. Yeah. And we got so much feedback about it that we, and it wasn't necessarily all bad, we had some really great feedback. We had to sort of parse through what it was that people were saying they liked about specific things and what it was that we were trying to do with the game. And we ended up uh, removing, it was just after release, actually. <laughs> we ended up removing all but two of the mini games. Okay. So rather than having six, we only have two still. And then all of the other areas where we would have, where we did have the games that were, that were slowing people down. They were, they were, they were so taking just away from, things together. Yeah, we'd sort of, we'd over, over designed maybe rather than realizing where we needed to, where we needed to stop, and that more isn't necessarily better, even when yeah. it's done well. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Too and, much of a good thing. Yeah, and I think um, Anthony definitely realizing that the game doesn't ever have to technically be done in the world that we're in now yes you can update you can you can add features if you want to later on as updates or dlc it's even if it's not paid dlc you there there are there are a lot of ways to enhance the game once it's out as well and so we've we've taken that on board a lot where um there will actually be a few new updates for the that will go out on our Steam release uh, just before the console release comes out. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it drives me insane sometimes as the producer, <laughs> never knowing. Well, you feel what's like it never change. ends. <laughs> exactly, but I also I dread the day when it does end because then we'll have well, to see yeah, what that, else we're gonna do. <laughs> that that I imagine would be a tricky one, even just from working out. Okay, when when is that end point? When do we have to let this thing go, quote unquote? Because Technically, you can continue release like if you've got enough players and you have fair and yeah and they're the people we're making games for in the end, and if you if we had a fan base that kept us sustainable, that meant that we could release, you know, every couple of months something and a new new content that people were actually enjoying, we probably would for a while. And it's yeah, about- I was gonna say for a while it still works. Though. Eventually, I would imagine because I'd imagine that's the case in a whole bunch of different creative fields, is that eventually, though, there's going to be this itch yeah. that, start, that needs to get scratched, and eventually you've got to recognise, okay, 
I need to step away from this now. Like I love this, and if I and I still love this, but if I keep going, I might, I might grow to dislike it, or it might just get too much, or I just it's actually better for me now to go and stretch my wings and do something else, whether that's a sequel or whether that's a a whole new project entirely, you know, ultimately remains to be seen. But yeah, I'd imagine coming to that conclusion going, okay, this is when I need, like I, this is the moment I need to step away would be hard, especially when you're a part of a team where there's multiple people that have to come to that conclusion and hopefully at roughly the same sort of time. Yeah. I I hope when it does happen, we, we do, we do hit it at the same time because Oh, it'll be hard convincing Anthony to uh to let his baby go. <laughs> Rock in a hard place. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we were talking beforehand. It's something I didn't realise with some of the research I was doing that you've been doing a bit of freelance stuff as well. Yeah, it's now that we've I've uh, finished up at Defiant again. I spending two years there. I was quite I got quite comfortable again having as having you, would. you know nice secure income and. And coming back to Damsel, um, we realised we, we needed to do a bit of extra work as well. And so um, Anthony had been porting some games uh, over the last year and this year, sort of um, uh, a couple of couple of Aussie games. And then he's also been working on some other ones as well oh, okay. um, from overseas, which has been really good. Do we know of any of these? So think of the children. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. So he did the uh, Xbox and PlayStation ports for that. Yep. Um, and then I don't know if I can say any of the other names of any of That's the other right. ones. No, I won't. I won't flush those out here. But it's it's been really good because we're doing the porting part of it. It means that I've been able to sort of keep honing my certification testing skills and and be able to for a little while. Um, for a little while, if with ports, it, it's interesting because it's hard to to. It's hard to convince someone why and where QA can fit in in that position, in that sort of work. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, when you're, when you're getting a port done, it doesn't really seem like you should need anything else, which, which makes sense. No, of course you're not, because it's, it's like save as dot switch. And yeah. Dot, no. <laughs> exactly. And when you don't realize <laughs> that there's 76 tests that Xbox will get you to do, depending yeah. on what you've got in your game, and... It and does. how they differ to what PlayStation asks and what Nintendo might ask and what you're doing on the PC or mobile, if that's a factor as well. Yeah, it, understood. Yeah. And so having having someone there, I so I've been just doing some of that work um, with Anthony on his contract work over the last year and we were sort of trying to figure out, it's been part of my um, how to get QA sort of rolling back into the Australian indie scene. Uh, and yeah. so... That it really sparked my interest actually on in how okay well if there only only are a few of us then maybe I need to sort of step up a little bit and make make a little bit more noise about QA or or find people who are interested in getting into that sort of um, entry level job and letting them know what it is that you do and so I started out doing that a bit and then we ended up getting a contract to do um, some certification. Um, testing for somebody who was about to release well no they actually they they weren't ready to release yet but they they wanted us to go through the game and go do all the tests and tell us what we fail and we know we're going to fail most of them there's um, optimism for you <laughs> in a good way at least it made me know how much work was going to be be there to get done yeah okay, okay. 
And then Anthony's part of that consulting work was, well, this is how you'll need to implement those things in the particular game that you're you're making. And so that job really piqued our interest as well. It's it's yeah, okay. it's an Good interesting it's an interesting side to the industry as well. That's there consulting between the two sides. Um, you know, you can be as experienced as you want you know but still be working in a team of five because you've decided to go indie and it's all about what you don't have the time to do um that's that's why qa doesn't necessarily get looked at as much because you know you don't have the time to even think about it whereas every game before release needs to be played a hundred times you know it needs it needs that amount of playing pulled apart and yeah just just so that you do know flexed in ways that it shouldn't exactly i I say there's two sides to testing there's testing what the game should do and then there's testing what the game can do yeah (laughs) and so those two sides and i think i think with simpler mobile games there isn't as much of that work that's needed but as as people are getting into bigger games being able to be there as sort of like a little stopgap for them to go hey look where are we at what what kind of work are we actually able to do um, how, how much further from this point will it take us? Because sometimes you're floundering in the middle. And so to have someone go, look, this is a list of things that will get you through the certification process. That kind of, it, it does, it takes some pressure off. Also, some teams I've spoken to sort of are, are looking at releasing in a couple of months, but they haven't even had a chance yet. So look at what it takes to get onto the console. Yeah. So there's a large amount of information there as well for each of the consoles, which is fantastic, but it takes a long time to get through and comprehend. They're always updating and changing their compliance um, rules as well. So it's been really nice being able to sort of, you know, help someone move into their, their own success, but... But with you know just being that little that little push going, yeah, is that yeah. what this is that one little Nudging thing we can help you direction. with? Yeah, exactly. And I get to play more different kinds of games. I get to I get to see what other people are making, which would be invaluable for your own designs and ideas and those sorts of things. You you pick up things, what works, what doesn't, what's interesting, what's not, and that helps probably guide and steer some of your own ideas. Exactly, it's so, and it's so nice watching people making really creative steps that you're like oh i wouldn't even have had the guts to do that even yeah. or yeah it's a trying different styles and and so i've recently made the decision while we're still doing this porting work to um to start consulting in qa around the t- around brisbane at least especially at the moment yeah. um because now that we're lucky enough to have funding in queensland there are lots of new teams that are getting a chance to 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 make their first game yeah and it's been it's been so long in Brisbane, especially since we've had a funding system that either was there at all or that worked for the actual industry. And so yes. that that's sort of makes a big difference. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing what what new stuff comes out of Brisbane as well. Like like it's been nice watching the whole of Australia, but uh, having seen all those companies collapse ten years ago, it's really nice to see. A start whole lot to of rebuild new ones coming back ten years later. No, that's that's good to hear because yeah, you know, um, Brisbane's I guess maybe not the hot spot, or at least for in recent years hasn't been the hot spot that several other states are, maybe including my own in Melbourne. Um, oh, you know, you're the shining star <laughs> down in Melbourne. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
there, there is that obviously. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stigma attached to even what we have with the arcade down here in Melbourne and and the stuff that spins off that. But it's it's good to see other states, including including what's going on in Queensland, Brisbane, um, starting to grow again because I think it's one of those things that a rising tide lifts all, lifts all boats. And yes, it's great that you know the indie scene in, in Victoria is flying and you know, we see little success stories like say team cherry with um, hollow Knight and those sorts of things. But if everyone can kind of help lift each other up, it's, it's going to be a benefit to everyone. So yeah. it's good to see that the government's supporting in that regard. And it's, it's going to help rebuild, start to rebuild things. And then with people like yourself that have, have been around and seen these different aspects and can bring so much knowledge to, to a new studio. Well, that only bodes well for them. I hope so. I hope we, yeah, I hope we see the see that rise come back. We'll we'll come, we'll be Melbourne soon. <laughs> Not if we have anything. To do with that. <laughs> um, so uh, we've kind of touched on this in different ways, and we're starting to wind things down a little bit here. What have been some of the more valuable experiences or lessons that you've kind of learnt along the way? Has there been has there been anything that's really struck you as being something that's altered your perspective on this whole? In- Maybe I'm getting too big picture. Here, but- <laughs> I, I honestly think it's having the first game I ever worked on get shut down and the first studio I ever worked on getting shut down. I never saw this industry as being easy to be in. Yeah. Um, I, I And that doesn't mean that one day, if it does get easy, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> well, but, no, I mean, yeah, being comfortable is handy. Yeah. I am so lucky I don't have to worry about a mortgage or kids at the moment, yeah. things like that. But but I think having that perspective of um, seeing where we have come from and where we're actually... Uh, the, seeing the indie scene bloom again all over the world at the moment even, but, but especially in Australia, I, I think it makes me so happy after being in those rooms, watching you know, 90 people at once being let go, uh, watching, you know, having... The dark a, days. Yeah, and, and and having a game that you could see so much passion from the 150 people we ended up having on the team at that first game to all of them just one day, it, it wasn't there anymore. And, and knowing that some of those people left the industry completely, it gives me so much uh, joy seeing people now building their own studios, uh, building back up. And, and I don't know whether I would be able to see it the same if I didn't have that perspective. Yeah, of course. No, that makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, I guess yeah, how, where we're starting to go now, yeah, I think it, you need those sort of, that bit of perspective there. And as we spoke about before, there's plenty of people coming in that don't have that and maybe haven't seen the potential, I don't know if nasty is the right word, but the, the sour side of the industry and what can go wrong. Um, I think that helps. And I hope they never have to. You know, well, building yeah, it back up, it'd be great to build it back up better. <laughs> More sustainable. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've, I've, it gives me very high hopes, though, for what we can do in Australia. Uh, I think we've probably answered this, but what have been some of those harder moments? But I'd imagine it's watching other people leave. Yeah, I... <laughs> I think one of the hardest moments, and I'm 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 not laughing out of cruelty. I I had the same person, same HR person at two of those companies have to fire me. 
Oh, okay. And she was so heartbroken by having to do it, more than I was probably by leaving. The first time wasn't great. The second yeah. time was just, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Yeah, honestly, and watching her, so much passion coming from all sides of the industry, no one ever wanted those companies to go down and the, the respect that was that was there. But I think that that moment in that room, all I wanted to do was comfort her and all she wanted to do was comfort me. And, sort of and we, everyone was crying and it was... Yeah. <laughs> we actually both were crying by the end and then we were laughing and then we were able to go out and have a drink later once everything had been done. And, you know, by the end of the day, we're, you know, it, it's, it's one good thing is that each time those sort of things happened, everyone did go out together. They did they did that celebrate what they'd at least been through, what they'd done together. And that, that felt nice. But those 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 really hard moments of uh Yeah, saying goodbye to people. Yeah, I can understand that. So let's let's get a little bit future focused here. What does the future hold what do you see the future holding for you? And obviously, Screw Tape. I think we know a little bit about what's coming up in terms of obviously a, um, a console port of uh, Damsel. But what do you see the future, or what do you envisage the future holding for you? Well, hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be out on all consoles. It'll be selling like uh, hotcakes, of course. Of course. Top <laughs> of the charts. Yeah, yeah. We we've always had this dream of uh, of making another Damsel. Uh, yep. using everything that we've gone through and taken. The Metroidvania version, right? <laughs> if we can sell it, this one. <laughs> we'll have to make it stand out even more. You'll have a few credits in the bank by the, after this, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. But I also... I think that the porting and, and, and consulting work is, is, is something that I'd love to take further. It's, it's, it's something that very much interests me... Um, mentoring um people who have come through coming through now it's we can all come up with ideas but but finding the people who've got the amazing ones and and giving them the confidence to to, fostering that to move forward um i think i think my future our future lies screw tape lies in both continuing to develop ourselves whether it's another damsel game or or we'll uh go crazy and uh, do something new um, if I can keep Anthony reined in, it'll be Damsel too. <laughs> it's funny how many ideas I get pitched on a on a weekly basis from him. And I'm like, we've just got to finish this one. Yeah, then I'll we slow can down think the first one. <laughs> well, I guess cycling back to our thing before, you probably don't have to worry too much then about him wanting to constantly keep refining the original game because there's a million other ideas he wants to get onto. <laughs> exactly, and uh, I, I I figure he, he he puts his mind to it. He can make anything work in the game. So. Yeah, and and then continuing working with other teams as well, um, because every time we port something, we're we're learning from experience. You know, whether it's reading somebody else's code to figure out how to input with the consoles, or me getting to test something else and us getting to see a different kind of game that that's out there. I I think I think that will will drive us to make even better games in the future. No, that's great. So. One final question, I guess, before we maybe do some closing promotional sort of stuff. Um, and you're the first subject of this question. But I think I'm going to make it a make it a little bit of a standard thing here. What is the what's the dream game that you could have made? So a game that already exists is just is there one thing out there that you wish that you could have made, or even if it's a game that's currently in development, 
because we can just give them a little tap on the shoulder and go, hey, keen to do it. <laughs> Naughty dog or whatever it happens. Oh, to. <laughs> you, you said it. You said it. Uh, oh, okay. It's the Uncharted, Uncharted series. Uh, oh, okay. Uncharted- I thought I said Naughty dog. And I'm like, okay. Did, oh, last was? <laughs> Uncharted? I'm not going to object with Uncharted as a, an unabashed Uncharted fanboy. Oh, good. I... It was the first one. Like, Last of Us has taken what Naughty Dog can do and has taken it even further. It's yeah. the, But playing and watching people play Uncharted, for me, was the closest I've ever been to real acting in a game. Yeah. It, it wasn't just voice actor. It was it was the vo- amazing voice actors were being represented in With game so well. I... I am. I don't know what it is, but I am. Uh, bad lip syncing drives me sick, me crazy. I can't even handle it if things are out of sync slightly on a TV. It just and the perfection that it that not the the step up that it was that Uncharted brought to that whole side of of the elements of gameplay. And it wasn't yeah. in just in cutscenes. It was in engine. It was in game. And I. If I could have been there on that team, that would have been oh phenomenal to get that kind of breakthrough. So I just need to give Neil Druckmann or someone like that a tap yeah. on the shoulder and go, "Hey, you want to? I'll, I'll wanna... QA. I'll QA." <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's good here. And yeah, as an unabashed Uncharted fan boy, I wholeheartedly support that choice. <laughs> yes. So as we wrap things up, uh, if people want to learn more about you, Damsel, um, Screw Tape. Where should they be headed? So for Damsel, we have our Twitter, which is at Damsel Game. Um, we're also damselgame.net. And that'll be that's where all our information for Damsel is, um, whether it's... Uh, and of course, Steam. Uh, on Steam, we are available. Um, for me personally, Twitter, you can you can always get me, get me at Miss Megs. Um, I don't know how many S's are in that one. <laughs> There's a few. I'll, I'll make sure I put it in the, the yeah. show notes. <laughs> I was Making such a noob up. to Twitter when I when I created those names. But yeah, uh, through our through our um, website as well, you can always get in contact with anyone anyone on the team as well. Oh, good to hear. Um, so thank you very much for your time today. It's been a great story f- uh, to sit back and listen to. Really. Uh, I haven't had to ask too much or say too much. It's been great to kind of just kick back and listen and take it all in. And um, and I'm sure our listeners have thoroughly enjoyed that as well. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for letting me share. It's uh, it, it's it's really nice getting to, to talk about what we do, not just what we're making. And until next time, thanks a lot for listening. See you later. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Megan's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.